Well, good evening. It's great to be with you and uh, lovely to see you. Uh, why don't you open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 3 and we'll pick up from where we left off last week. 2 Corinthians 3, I'm beginning to read uh, from verse 1. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our confidence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the privilege it is to open your word. Lord, we ask that that you would speak to us tonight as we look at it. Lord, would you help me to preach faithfully? Lord, would you help me to rely on the fact that any competence for ministry comes from you. It comes from the power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Maybe you've heard the story of the group of American tourists who decided to go for a walk in Balmoral Estate a couple of years ago. They set out on their walk with one goal in mind, meeting the Queen. And it just so happened that as they were walking along, they ran into a very sweet old lady and a younger gentleman who also happened to be out for a walk that day. She was wearing a tweed jacket and a headscarf, nothing out of the ordinary. And as they stopped to chat, one of the tourists asked, have you ever seen the queen? To which the sweet old lady replied, no, but my friend here is a policeman and he has. The group said their goodbyes and carried on with their walk, completely unaware that they had just met the person they were looking for. When all the impressive externals were taken away, no palace, no entourage, no colorful outfits, no corgis, when she looked completely ordinary, they didn't recognize the queen. They failed to recognize that the person in front of them was the one they were looking for. She was the real deal and they didn't see it. Maybe you've had a similar experience where you failed to recognize someone that you really should have recognized. I once walked straight past Rihanna didn't realize who she was until a mob of young girls nearly knocked me over running after her. I was talking to one of our students this week who did the same thing to David De Gea uh, because he wasn't wearing his Manchester United kit. The thing is, when people don't look like the way we're used to seeing them or how we expect them to look, it's easy not to realize who they are. And that's the problem that Paul has to deal with in the church in Corinth. He's trying to get them to recognize that he is the real deal. He doesn't look very impressive. In fact, he looks weak and ordinary 
He's not an amazing preacher. He doesn't have letters of recommendation, which are really important in that culture. On the other hand, these so-called super apostles who are disrupting the church, they're really flashy. On the outside, they do look like the real deal. They're show-offs with assertive personalities and eloquent speech, and they do have letters of recommendation. Who wrote those letters? We don't know. But let's just say it's probably probably the equivalent of getting your best mate to write you a glowing, if not entirely accurate reference. What we do know is that on top of everything else they've been saying about Paul, the latest trick these super apostles have had up their sleeve is to use Paul's supposed lack of credentials as a way of undermining his authenticity and to back up their claim that he isn't a reliable minister of the gospel. This is why Paul asks what he does in verse 1. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, aka these super apostles, letters of recommendation to you or from you? So Paul is going to deal with this head on, and as he does, he's going to use this opportunity to further teach the Corinthians how to recognize a genuine ministry when they see it. Because the danger that Paul is well aware of is that if the Corinthians go along with these super apostles who are disrupting the church, they're going to leave the true gospel as well. That's why Paul has spent a lot of time at the beginning of this letter talking about what authentic gospel ministry looks like, and in particular, what authentic servants of the gospel look like. Their commitment to the true gospel is at stake. So as we come to this passage, Paul is still trying to knock into the Corinthians what true gospel ministry looks like. How do we recognize what a genuine minister of the gospel looks like? How do we know the real deal when we see it? Well, here's the answer in a nutshell, okay? A genuine gospel minister knows they aren't up for the job. They know that only God is capable of doing the work that he has called them to do. They don't rely on themselves. They don't come blowing their own trumpet. The results of their ministry, their competence for ministry, are both the work of God alone. So we should expect this passage to help, help us discern what a genuine pastor looks like. But that doesn't mean it only applies to pastors. There is encouragement here for all of us. We should also expect this passage to help us see the genuine ministry that is happening in us and among us. And more than that, as we proclaim the gospel, as we love people in our homes, in our workplaces, in our small groups, we can find comfort from the fact that we don't need to be adequate to be used by God. We do it knowing that we don't do it in our own strength, but by relying on the power of his Holy Spirit. In fact, thinking you're up for the task is the fastest way to make yourself useless. Okay, so how do we recognize genuine gospel ministry? Paul points out two things. Two things only God can provide. Genuine gospel ministers have credentials written by the Spirit, and they have confidence in God's sufficiency. Credentials written by the Spirit, and they have confidence in God's sufficiency. But first of all, let's look at the credentials written by the Spirit. Answering this challenge that he has no letters of recommendation and his own question from verse 1, Paul says this in verse 2. 
You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. Paul is saying that the Corinthians themselves are his letters of recommendation. They are living, breathing proof that Paul is genuine. They are a living testimony to Paul's ministry and the power of the gospel. No one can deny that the gospel that Paul has preached has produced fruit. Until Paul went to Corinth and proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ there, there was no church in Corinth. And now there is. That in itself is evidence of the fact that Paul is genuine. And we can see that these living letters of recommendation have gone to two places. First of all, they've gone to Paul's heart and the hearts of Silas and Timothy, Paul's co-workers in the gospel. These men have had a front row seat to their transformation. And as they have proclaimed the gospel and they've loved these people, they've seen God change them. So when the Corinthians were transformed by the Spirit of God and became God's people, Paul can say that in a sense, they also became his. These Corinthians have been permanently engraved on his heart. If you've been blessed with children, you will know what that's like. There's nothing my little boy, Seth, could do to change the fact that I will always love him. I will always have him on my heart. Paul feels that for his spiritual children. The people he saw get reborn by the Spirit. They might get things wrong, they might be a bit messy, and we know from 1 Corinthians that they were a bit messy, but Paul will always love them because he is their spiritual father. And for that reason, Paul has no doubt that he has been called by God for this work. He has an internal reassurance that he is a genuine gospel servant because he has that joy and love for them in his heart. Joy and love that has come from seeing God's work in their lives. Just like our Paul, Paul Reese, not, not the apostle, but close enough. Like he said this morning, the great joy of being in ministry is getting to see people being transformed by Jesus. I love that. It's having that front row seat to the transforming power of God and work in someone's life. Those living letters on the hearts of pastors are their credentials. So when it comes to recognizing a genuine servant of the gospel, it's not a matter of how impressive someone's CV is or how impressive they look on the outside. It's not how many letters they have after their name. What matters is the letters they have in their heart. It's seeing results that only God could achieve. It's seeing the spiritual fruit that only God could produce. Yes, theological training, ministry experience, really important. But the true litmus test of someone's ministry lies in the results that ministry has in people's lives. Results that can only come from faithfully presenting the gospel to them. Results that can only come as we open God's word and point people to Christ. Praying that the Holy Spirit would work in their hearts. But again, this passage doesn't just help us discern whether or not a pastor is the real deal. It teaches all of us that the ministry that we are called to do, day by day, involves investing in people. We each have a calling to proclaim the gospel and to love the people around us in whatever context that might be. 
We are to take people into our hearts that we may rejoice in their transformation as God works through us by his spirit. Any one of us can have living letters written on our hearts. And those are the best credentials that we could have. That by God's grace, there are people that we have been able to point to him. People that God has used this by his spirit to change as we ourselves are being changed. So perhaps we need to ask ourselves, who are the people that are being engraved in our hearts? Are you sitting in the back row, eating popcorn, watching, whilst other people get stuck into the work of discipleship or the work of facilitating gospel ministry? Or do you have a front row seat? Are you allowing God to use you to disciple others? Is he working through you to save people as you proclaim the gospel to them and you take them into your heart? So these living letters, these credentials are engraved in Paul's heart, but they also go somewhere else. Verse 2 says these letters are known and read by everyone. These living letters have gone to everyone. Anyone can see what God has done in the lives of these Corinthians. In their idolatrous and pagan culture, they are an open letter showing everyone they meet the power and the grace of God. They are living proof that the gospel that Paul, his co-workers, and the other apostles preach is a gospel that works. This is a wonderful illustration of what God does in a person's life. When we are saved, we become letters to the world around us. We become living evidence of the power of the gospel. Us here at Charlotte Chapel, we are evidence that the gospel of Jesus Christ works. We are a letter to the people around us in Edinburgh. We are proof that the gospel does what it says on the tin. We're like those people you see walking around wearing a sandwich board to advertise a business. We're a walking advert for Jesus Christ. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, we are proof that God takes the unrighteous, the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, thieves, the greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers, swindlers, and such were some of us, and he washes them, sanctifies them, justifies them in the name of Christ and by the Holy Spirit. We are living proof that God transforms lives. But perhaps we should ask ourselves this. As living letters that testify to God's grace, are we really known and read by the people around us? Is the letter reaching its intended destination? Are we getting close enough to lost people so they can read it? It's so easy in our culture not to be known by the people around us, isn't it? It's easy not to interact with our neighbors. It's easy to socialize exclusively with our Christian friends. And of course, lockdown restrictions have made this very difficult. But as things open up, with God's help, we need to restart the things we used to do to get alongside people. Showing hospitality to strangers, lingering at the school gates, spending time with non-Christian colleagues, whatever it might be. Is there some way this week that you could position yourself a bit closer to someone who doesn't know Jesus? 
Why not start praying that you would have opportunities to get to know people who aren't Christians? You never know who might want to read the letter. You never know who you might be able to minister to. You never know who God might transform through you. So these living credentials are written on the hearts of gospel ministers. They're sent out for everyone to read and see the transforming power of the gospel. But Paul doesn't want anyone to think that the power behind the transformation comes from him. Before there's even a suggestion of that, look what he says in verse 3. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Like any good letter of recommendation, Paul's recommendation comes from a third party. And surely there's no higher authority than Jesus Christ himself. He is the one doing the transformation. And what did he write these letters with? He doesn't write with ink. He writes with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of human hearts. And as he writes this, Paul is thinking back to two places in the Old Testament. He's referring to Exodus 34, where God told Moses on Mount Sinai to write the Ten Commandments on stone tablets. And he's also referring to Jeremiah 31, which we read earlier, where Jeremiah prophesied that in the new covenant, the law would be written on our hearts. He's making the point that the time of the new covenant that Jeremiah prophesied about has come. The Corinthians are living in the days where the law is no longer written on stone, but it's written on the hearts of those who trust in Christ. And so are we. Paul's going to elaborate more on this in verse 6. In a nutshell, he's basically saying that being one of God's people is no longer about working for an external righteousness. It's about inner transformation from the Holy Spirit. And this is why Paul can say that the Corinthians themselves are a letter of recommendation. They are living letters because in the new covenant, they have been transformed by the Holy Spirit. Paul and anyone who serves God can only have these credentials because God is in the business of transforming lives by his spirit. No true servant of God can claim that power to transform lives, lives, lives within them. Their credentials are written by the spirit. Okay, so we recognize genuine gospel ministry because we can see living credentials that could only be written by the spirit. Secondly, genuine gospel ministers have confidence in God's sufficiency. Confidence in God's sufficiency. Look with me first of all to verse 4 and 5. Such confidence we have through Christ before God, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. So the next thing that that Paul says in response to this claim that he has no letters of recommendation, that, that he's not a genuine servant of the gospel, is that he has a confidence before God. And this confidence that Paul has before God comes through Christ. Paul knows that there is nothing in himself that makes him competent for the job. He doesn't say, actually, I am way more talented and way more experienced than these super apostles. No, his confidence comes through Christ because he has a competence that can only come from God. 
So here's another way to recognize whether or not someone is the real deal. They know that they are inadequate. They know that they are not up to the job. But they also have a deep-rooted confidence that God is. He is adequate. He is more than up to the job. And they know that any confidence they have to do the work of gospel ministry comes from God. But again, this is so key for each one of us as we go about the ministry that we're called to. Because if we forget this, what's it going to look like? What's going to happen if we try to grow a ministry in our own strength? What's going to happen if we try to lead a small group or a one-to-one in our own strength? Or we try to disciple our children in our own strength? Or even put pressure on ourselves to convert our non-Christian friends? It's not going to end well, is it? We're going to end up burnt out, anxious. We're going to be easily hurt, easily offended. We're going to hold on tightly to the ministries that we've been involved in building. And worst of all, we could quite possibly quench the spirit. We might not see spiritual fruit. But on the other hand, what happens when we do rely on God's strength? Well, we're going to go about the work with an even keel, aren't we? We won't be anxious because the success or failure of the work doesn't depend on us. We're going to hold it lightly so we won't be easily hurt or offended, but we'll be able to encourage others. We're going to minister from our identity in Christ, not for our identity. We're going to be fruitful because we are giving the Holy Spirit his rightful place. Maybe this evening we need to ask ourselves whether or not we are relying on God's strength for the work. How do we rely on him and not ourselves? It means starting each day admitting our own weakness and asking for his strength. It means saturating all that we do in his name in prayer. It means not sacrificing time meditating on his word to get on with the work. So genuine gospel ministers know they are inadequate and they rely on God's adequacy. But Paul doesn't finish there. What exactly has God done to make us competent? Well, look with me to verse 6. Paul says, He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Paul says he is competent because he is a minister of a new covenant. Paul and all other genuine ministers of the gospel have confidence because the old covenant that was insufficient has been replaced by a new covenant that is sufficient. But why why is this new covenant sufficient but the old one wasn't? What does he mean that new covenant ministry is not of the letter but of the spirit? Now, Paul is mixing his metaphors. When he uses the word letter here, he's not talking about letters of recommendation anymore. He's talking about the law, the letters that were written down on the tablets of stone. Under the old covenant, no one had the internal spiritual power that they needed to keep the law. And not only that, the old covenant animal sacrifices could not take away sin. Hebrews 10.4 says, It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. There it is in black and white. All animal sacrifices could do was cover sin up. This is why Paul says the letter kills. 
He's not saying the law is bad. He's saying that under the old covenant, God's people had no power to keep it. And their sins weren't completely removed when they broke it. So if you were relying on keeping the law and all the external obligations to make yourself righteous and acceptable before God, you were toast. It wasn't going to work. These things were supposed to make you look forward to a day that was going to come where God would do something much greater. When God would deal with humanity's sin problem and its consequences once and for all. And Paul is saying that in Christ that day has come. Jesus Christ fulfilled every requirement of the law. He sacrificed his perfect life on the cross so that our sin could be completely forgiven and removed. And he rose again from the dead and he ascended into heaven and then he gave us his spirit. And when God's spirit enters into the heart of a Christian, he transforms them. He makes them a new creation. He gives us a new heart, new power to obey the law of God that is now written on our hearts. Under the new covenant, we are able to do what we could never do before. We have been made sufficient for ministry because we have been transformed by the Holy Spirit and he continues to live in us. He continues to empower us to carry out the things that God has commanded. He gives us the power we need to be ministers of the gospel. And more than that, this new covenant that Christ has established by his blood is what we hold out to the world. We offer new life in Christ for those who trust in him for the forgiveness of sins. We aren't like these super apostles who are no doubt telling the Corinthians that they need to keep the old covenant law in order to be righteous. We proclaim a gospel that offers complete forgiveness of sin. We proclaim a gospel that says, come and be radically transformed. A gospel that gives us new life. Maybe you're here tonight or you're listening on the live stream and you're not a Christian. The Christian message is not come and clean up your act and make yourself good enough. It's not come and be a nice person and you'll get to heaven. No, we preach a gospel that says come to Christ and have your sins forgiven. Come to Christ and be transformed by his spirit. Come and be set free from sin slavery. Come and have the new life that he offers you. None of us could be righteous in our own efforts. But in his grace, God sent his son. He sent his son to die in our place, to pay the penalty of sin so that we would no longer have to face the wrath of God for our sin. But instead, we would have eternal life. Don't pass up the wonderful offer of salvation for all who put their trust in Christ. Come to him. Come and be a living letter that testifies to his power to save and his power to transform lives. Just as we come to a close tonight, for those of us who know and love the Lord, what do you need to take away from this passage? How is it that God is calling you to respond? Maybe you've been trying to minister in your own strength for a while and you're exhausted. Or if you're honest, you know you're proud of yourself and you're holding on tightly to what isn't really yours. Tonight's a good night for that to stop, to repent and to rely again on God's strength for the work. Maybe you think that 
you aren't very useful to God and that stops you from getting involved in church or from doing the things that you know you've been called to do. You aren't useful. And that's why you're useful. Put your confidence in God. He takes those who know their own inadequacy and know that he is sufficient and he uses them for his glory. Maybe you know that God has transformed you, but you have a hard time sharing that with others. Maybe the idea of being a living letter that is known and read by the world around you is a scary thought. Why not ask God to help you? To show you how you can engage with the lost people around you. To show you how you can get close to the people in this city so that they can read the letter. And as you pray for your pastors and your pastors in training, as you pray for your elders and your ministry leaders, would you pray that we would have the credentials that only the Spirit can write? That there would be living letters on our hearts? Would you pray that they would have a confidence in God's sufficiency as they share the gospel and hold out the offer of new life in Christ? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for what your word had to tell us tonight. Lord, we thank you for the transforming power of the gospel, that you can take sinners like us and turn us around. You can forgive us and cleanse us and fill us with your spirit and empower us to live for you. Lord, we thank you for making us living letters to the world around us. Lord, would you help us Help us to proclaim the gospel and to love the people that we meet on a regular basis. Help us to share our lives and to take those people into our hearts. And we thank you for the new covenant that we're a part of. A covenant that's so much better. A covenant that was established by the blood of Christ when he died for us on the cross. Lord God, we thank you for such a wonderful salvation. Thank you for what you've done for us. Amen.